welcome to Series 2 of the Stressed But Well-Dressed podcast. In this season of our podcast, we are asking why. We will discuss why stress exists, why we subject ourselves to swimwear in public, and why we need to be more inclusive when we think about style. We will continue to tell stories through style and host guests from a variety of industries, hearing their stories and listening to why what they wear has shaped or shifted their self-perception over time. We will always start with some comedy and think about the highs and lows that have helped us along the catwalk of our career and we'll finish with some great advice for you to take away. Why stressed but well-dressed? Well, we all have our own unique way of showing up and the way we present ourselves is part of our personal armour. Never underestimate the power that armour can have in helping you be you and know that your version of well-dressed is your confidence builder to help alleviate the stress. We wake up every day and we get dressed. Being clothed is a necessity. However, the way we choose to clothe ourselves is part of our self-expression and our self-identity. Wearing clothes that align to our personal values, our interests or our aspirations can enhance our sense of self and our authenticity. And aligning our clothing with our identity has been proven to increase our confidence. Research has shown that connecting a symbolism and meaning to the items in our wardrobe can make us feel a connection between those items and the identity or the image that we wish to project to the outside world. What we choose to wear influences our mood and our performance. This is called enclosed cognition and was researched by Dr Adam Galinsky and his colleagues at Northwestern University. The research looks not only at the symbolic meaning of clothing, but how people use clothing to self-reflect and to uplift their mood to increase their positivity. Creating our own way of feeling well-dressed, we are directly aiming to alleviate our stress, whether we realise it or not. Stress but well-dressed is all about getting into a mindset where what you wear gives you confidence and we've given a lot of time and focus to how your clothes are a part of who you are and tell your story and really create your identity. Something that we haven't yet focused on is what happens when there are barriers to getting dressed easily and when the designs and products don't exist to fit your clothing needs. So today we're going to be joined by Dr Joe Gooding to understand the need for clothing to be more inclusive. Joe is a design historian with a special interest in how fashion and disability meet. Hi Joe. Hi Dahlia. So excited to be here today talking about fashion design and how we get dressed because I truly believe that we sh- it shouldn't be stressful getting dressed. It absolutely shouldn't be stressful getting dressed but I am going to start asking you about your funniest fashion moment. Oh if I must yeah I think it's a bit of a classic one really. I was in my first job sort of lecturing to students and wanting to be very professional and and the classic and I'd been to the bathroom beforehand and your skirt's tucked up inside your tights. A bit embarrassing when you walk into a lecture theatre as the student. <laughs> Not when you want to be leading the way. I can imagine that that doesn't feel great. No, no. So, it wasn't. <laughs> so you've mentioned, obviously, I've talked about the fact you're a design historian and you've mentioned lecturing. Talk to us more about who you are and, and what you do. I started my career think, looking at the history of design and, and how objects are really important in how we meet the world. And I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to study at the Victorian Albert Museum and the Royal College of Art in London and that was a really amazing 
and one of the career routes for design historians out of that is is teaching the context and studies to creative students, the students who are at Art and Design College. So they'll be fashion designers, they'd be graphic designers also. And some of my most memorable moments have been when I was working in teaching in the fashion teams. And you mentioned the V&A there, that must have been brilliant. Tell us how you got from there to Stylability. It was absolutely amazing couple of years of my life being a student in that an amazing space but also surrounded by creative people but one of the things we were asked to do when we were on that course at the VNA was think about a group of objects and how they changed over time. I was always curious about spectacles because I used to sit on the tube and look at people and the style of their, their glasses and I'd make a judgment about who they were or what, where they, what they were doing or you know what sort of job they were going to have. So that's what I looked at. I looked at the history of National Health Service frames because in the UK that was a big thing that a lot of people wore. It's a really interesting object because it's where you've got write a functional medical object that's quite scientific but it's sitting there on your face you know it helps you see but the world sees you and a bit like me making judgments about people on what I could see on the tube I was thinking it's a really important designed object a very visible item affect not just how you see but how you see the world so after the second world war national health service provided these glasses for the population there was a mass demand uh, for these frames but the the design was only very limited there was only 14 aisles so they were very obviously date supplied and the range didn't change for nearly 40 years and I think this had a huge impact on on people because there was a bit of a stigma attached to wearing these glasses because it really marked you out as of a particular social class. It's affected quite a lot of people of a particular generation. I remember talking to a costume history conference about National Health Service glasses. A lady came up to me afterwards and she was she was obviously really, really distressed. And she sort of shared with me this story that she had of her mum had made her take her glasses off if she ever left the house because her mum was so ashamed of the fact that they'd needed this support. And if the design had been a little better and not quite so obvious, it might have changed her, her sort of reaction to those objects. I think it was just that that made me think, really, design is important and fashion really is important for us. And, I mean, I am a glasses wearer and, and there are so many styles now and it's a really interesting category actually because you're seeing uh, lots of, of d very designer brands but actually you're seeing a breakthrough of much more trend-led brands that don't have that high fashion name attached to them but are coming through in terms of really fashion-led frames. So I think it is now a category that has become very on-trend, lots of boutiques. But as you said, design and clothing can have a, a real challenge linked to social mobility glasses on your face and the stigma around that um, at the time could have been really stressful so tell us about your why joe obviously we know a bit around why you care so much about design but how has that led you to to styleability it was that example of how you know that that designed object had really affected somebody glasses are actually seen as a, a really sort of clear example of how for disability or for medical impairments the design is really can be really important i was very flattered to be reading a book about design when design meets disability the researcher had actually referenced my work on national health service glasses and it was it was oh, it was one of those moments it was lovely as a historian to see someone had had read your work and somebody said the glasses are an example where fashion 
and how it's worked and how designers has has made those glasses from being something that had a stigma uh, to now something fashionable and you know you can really express your identity and that's the importance of design that was what made me think I need to think about how inclusive design can be and how important it can be. So Joe, this this series is all about why so why did that interest in inclusive design lead you to launch Stylability? What's it all about? So I spent lots of time teaching um, all manner of designers and fashion uh, students and wanted to help them realise some of that amazing work and make it tangible and I was trying to figure out a way to do this and spent some time mentoring and supporting designers as they started on their entrepreneurship journey as well and I saw that this wasn't a way to make massive change so um, I had a rethink think about how can I best use my skills and do something with purpose so that's going to make a difference and that led to to styleability. I am on a mission now to try to solve the challenge of joining people together to how we can get fashion for ev- available for everybody, overcome those barriers, make fashion available for everybody who wants it. So you talked there about creating impact and, and I think it's useful for our listeners to understand what the biggest challenges are and where that impact needs to be created. So you, glasses was one really good example. Do you have any others uh, in relation to where we need to create impact, where style needs to get more accessible? Well, the the issues of, of trying to make things a bit more inclusive, it's a huge, huge challenge that we particularly see in all manner of sections of society. In, in disability related areas, there's a concept called social model of disability, which is where it is not the person who is disabled, but the design of the world and the things around them that is. And this is where I saw I can help connect on that journey and that why. So I thought I'll start with fashion because of that link to my work with glasses. But also when I was teaching a fashion, I had my own experience of some mobility problems. And I really struggled to find clothing that made me feel good that I could actually wear. And that was was many years ago, but it's always stayed with me. I thought it shouldn't be this difficult to find clothes. So that has led to really focusing in on what is sometimes known as adaptive fashion, but I think it's fashion that adapts to the person that you can wear. I think that's so beautiful, fashion that adapts to the person. And what you said there about what we do is create barriers where where people can't exist rather than think about how do we become inclusive. It's something that we see in so many walks of life. So some of the research that I've done on inclusion versus exclusion is that actually we're very good at creating different swim lanes for different people rather than one swim lane that can incorporate everyone. And that drives exclusion. So the ability to take something as as simple but as as fundamental as clothing and create more inclusive ranges and more opportunities, more offers, feels like it could be really powerful and make a difference for a lot of people. And I I know from some of the the places that I've worked, as to being a great example, there are lots of adaptive ranges out there that that have been there for ages in, in terms of mastectomy bras, in terms of sensitive clothing for children. Have you seen any brands really leading the way? Yeah, I think you've got a really good example there. There have been changes in fashion in terms of size inclusivity, in terms of like maternity wear, which used to be something that you know that was very very niche some are good examples I mean if we look back to the sort of the history as as I am a historian you know back in the 1950s and 60s Levi's jeans was making functional fashion working with Helen Cookman to sort of design jeans that were easy to get on if you were 
a seat seated so somebody who was a wheel might have been a wheelchair user and then also we used to there was a lot of home dressmaking but it's when it comes into the mass market that there has been this challenge because you know obviously production people want they want a, an idea of normal but but who is normal none of us are are we so <laughs> there is no such thing as normal yes there are some some ranges on the, on the high street um or in the supermarkets like you said at asda has done an e- easy dressing range we've got brands in the states as well are doing great stuff so i mentioned levi's there's in america tommy hilfiger has been has done a range called hilfiger adaptive there are the sort of brands like um joe and bella i think part of the problem we see is that there are lots of more collections and this is an absolute massive issue i think what we need to think about is rather than trying to make one size fits all look at in- inclusive design or universal design and think about you know how we can solve this problem for a bigger population and i know primark have been in the headlines recently with their adaptive range and so they have launched is it an adaptive sportswear range um it's actually a launch range range that they have done and this is this is really exciting because there have been lots of small brands who have been sort of making innovations in this space but what tends to happen is those sort of niche brands and small manufacturers they, they really struggle to to get to the mass market so the great thing about Primark is that it is in a price point that people can actually afford as well so I'm feeling very positive about that I mean obviously there's lots of other challenges in in the sort of fashion world about ethics of sustainability and and also there's so many sort of challenges really but I think with stylability what I was hoping is that we can look at the existing garments and stock and all the, the amount of, of garments that there are and and actually look through a new lens at them and see if we can repurpose what we've got to actually help. It'll be interesting to see where Primark goes in the future. I, I think that's the challenge, isn't it? Because there's there's the challenge around how do you get that volume out there from an economies of scale perspective and, and often the, these ranges that are newer only hit a certain percentage of stores. So actually they don't become as accessible for all. And, and that's that's a, a big challenge for a brand straddle in terms of how do they make it work commercially and, and how much investment do they put in it? And also, does it need to wash its face commercially or should they be doing it for an impact perspective? So big questions for them to answer. Yeah, you, you touched on something there. Yeah, it is. It is how how can we make it accessible for all? So if we want to use the word accessible, we need accessible in price point, available in the distribution chain. It has been quite interesting. So the Primark example, I know on social media, several sort of influencers have been trying to find examples of the range. And I went on my own quest to find examples to see, to see what they were like as well. That is a big challenge to face. And I think it's worth calling out as well that it isn't just about having the product there'll be the whole piece around the the models and the marketing as well in terms of making sure that that models are used who truly can i say disabled so so yeah yeah. models are used who 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 represent a a wider range of the market is is this something that you've looked into as well it's not just about the product presumably it's absolutely and you just touched on something there when you just asked my permission can I use the word disabled I think terminology is a huge huge thing and I mean there's a a large amount of evidence that people really struggle with how to they don't want to say the wrong thing they don't want to be caught out and this is a big thing for brands as well because if they do misstep inadvertently um, that's going to have a huge impact on them and I think there's 
um, a certain amount of fear when I've been working with, with brands there is that we need to sort of help them on that journey but I suppose the key one when we we look at diversity on the catwalk or in the media that that's a huge issue because there's so many differences like I said there's nobody no such thing as normal we've got diversity of of size of age of of ethnicity and and all of these things to cover it is a huge challenge for for business and, and we've talked about when it works and and the big ticks of, of when it goes right and when it feels really good but you gave us that example at, at the beginning around the stigma uh, relating to the NHS glasses is is how stressful is it when people can't physically get dressed or don't have the right clothes to help them dress in a way that they want to? I mean, it's hugely frustrating. But let's just talk about the thing that everybody normally embraces is the sizing of that's a huge issue across the industry. You know, you'll get the size of something, you know, it might be a size eight in one store or a 12 in another or, or whatever. And and that's the huge, huge challenge of frustration. Well, imagine that frustration if you're buying something and then the neckline's too tight because you can't get it over your head or if you've hurt your arm or something and you can't actually put a garment on. Interesting that Primark started with with underwear because for many ladies that's the one thing you know we've had uh, fastening your underwear <laughs> could be a big challenge you know. Um, really interesting that Primark has started with the basics from a lingerie perspective and, and hopefully we'll see them scale out their offer from there. In your view Joe, who is making the decisions about what's right from a customer perspective? Are retailers doing enough to speak to customers? Because so often what we see when we think about retail expanding into new markets or thinking they need to become more inclusive is a decision that's board led in terms of what the customer needs and that the customer often gets lost in terms of what they truly need. How, how have you seen it working? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point because, you know, there was that often quoted thing about the customer is always right. And uh, when I was studying um, at the Royal College, they were looking at inclusive design and the importance of listening to people and putting humans people at the centre of, of a design process, listening to people, particularly if you're going to talk to a different demographic like if you're talking to like an older demographic or a you know, disability community you've got to actually work with those people and understand their needs and and the only way we're doing that is what we call co-designing so so working with so not just having an idea and taking it to a focus group afterwards get people in at the beginning of the process. I know we've talked before about the, the voice on social media becoming louder in this space. Are, are we seeing more people be more active in terms of what they want and, and being more demanding in, in a positive way of the market? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I there's a lot happening on on sort of TikTok and and Instagram and all of these spaces where where peer groups are actually sharing information and and sharing their voice. And I think that's an important thing. But not to forget that there is also a lot of people who might not be in those spaces. So particularly if you're looking at an older demographic that's an absolutely huge market that I think that the retailers also need to to address because over half of the UK's population is going to be over 50 soon you know it's like it's a huge demographic there's a huge increase in spend there as well so it's designing clothes and experiences for for that younger target age range you know when you're thinking about a customer persona and you know user journey you need to be thinking a little bit more about how society is changing and and where that spending power is going to be and that is going to be with 
an older consumer. As you're getting older, unfortunately, that incidence of your body not working in the way it used to and your relationship to your clothes changing. Women go through the menopause and the fabric of a garment is really important. Just little things like that that need to be involved in in the process. And at the boardroom level, I'm sure there's there's lots of numbers that all show that if they put those consumers first, that will uh, help the bottom line for the retail. <laughs> yeah, well, hopefully those, those numbers will really start to make a difference and turn the dial as well. I think it's been a really interesting insight into how do we get more inclusive to help people get dressed and what needs to be considered and, and then just some of the brands who've been doing it for years um, without even thinking about it, making it a true part of who they are. And then some of the brands who've realised recently, actually, it, it needs to be brought to the forefront more and, and not just something that happens to be in their range, but something that they're really proud of and, and really want to bring to market as well. Yeah, so the information sharing of just how you get into a product and, and garment, you know, what are the fastenings like? Just being able to find out that little bit of extra information about a garment. Gone are the days where we all had dresses and you know if our if our dress had a zipper at the back we don't have people to dress us these days you know we need to <laughs> so it's quite interesting because if I look at fashion history there's you know I can see that that change it's about finding a little bit more information about these garments so that if people do have additional dressing needs like that they want to to know how how tight fitting or how loose a garment is how it fastens you know what fabric it is we we need those bits of information we, we don't need bespoke items for everybody but for some people that is what they might need because as I said before I think you know we're all different you know we all have different different needs and our bodies different shapes and sizes. Uh, yeah. Joe, this has been really interesting and it's really got me thinking about ranges that work for everyone and and taking it back to the beginning what you said around you were an, an academic and obviously you, you still are an academic but you really wanted to take some action to move from helping the designers think creatively about just not just what they designed in terms of look but it's that feel piece as well in terms of how does it feel to wear it and, and what does it truly mean to get dressed do you have any reflections from our conversation when I first heard about your podcast it was through Caroline Mayer's work and thinking about the importance and the psychology importance of clothing and that very much linked to my own experience when I was t- teaching and thinking clothes should not be a barrier to people you know I think if I'm going to look and consider about how the design is important across the world starting with something that everybody uses we all get dressed we all get dressed every day and it should not be a challenge it should not be stressful so that's where I'm starting to make that transition to bring that knowledge into the real world. Joe, that is so powerful and it's been so inspirational and so thought-provoking for me to hear you. Before we finish are you ready for a quick lightning round? Absolutely. Question I always ask is uh, is your personal style smart or casual? Casual. And as a fashion historian I'm going to ask for your favourite fashion decade. That's such a tricky one. Um, I would have to say 1920s. 20s fashion. Yeah, 20s I, I like fashion. that as well. Flapper dresses. Yeah, we're starting to see liberation and more inclusion of, of, of women being able to express themselves. And lecturing or listening? Actually listening. Though so I used to lecture, but I think it's so much more important to listen to people. Do you have a theme song for your wardrobe? Theme song? No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. <laughs> I think um, actually now I've come to it um, a song that um, that comes to mind is it's Lay Your Hands On by Reef. Okay. Um, it yeah. just takes me back to my student days with we all helping each other get dressed for a night out um, and it brings me happiness that song. 
brings you joy I can hear it in my head now as well and <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be singing it after this and and finally are you stressed or well dressed as we sit here today oh I'd say stressed um and the reason is because I've got such a big challenge of trying to help everybody get to find the clothing they want but it's a challenge that um, I'm excited it's an excited stress with desire to to use all my skills of, of helping people to get dressed. Jo, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today. Oh, thank you. It's been great talking to you. <laughs>